To Kelly's Green Lounge Radio, we are a cannabis friendly establishment. Kelly's Green Lounge Radio, episode number five, podcast number five, podcast episode. I think it's the same thing. I'm excited that it's number five. And on today's episode, we have an amazing guest, Susan Stoneman out of Uruguay. I say that wrong every time she pronounces it in the most lovely way and I can't pronounce it at all um I found her or she found me we found each other on social media and um she's been wonderful I've really enjoyed getting to know her over the last little while um she taught me about Skype and she's helped me with my university courses and I have questions about growing and she is there to support um she's a a little bit of an older person uh not old but older than me and so what comes with age is a lot of wealth of knowledge and expertise when it comes to different subjects and she certainly has that she's sort of my go-to person right now and uh, she's agreed to come on kelly's green lounge radio and speak to you about growing in different locations she's lived all over the world and grown cannabis all over the world and has been in the cannabis community probably longer than I've been around, which is amazing to be able to speak to somebody about it uh, that has that kind of experience in the community. So I'm going to read you a little bit about her so that you know some uh, professional information about her. So her name is Susan Stillman and she is your personal grow guide. She says that she's committed to helping 420 new growers this year to succeed with their first uh, with their first time grows. She said that she's creating a site where new growers can connect with her and get they can help each other. They, um, she says it's like having a trusted friend who will be with you from germination to first toke or first bite. <laughs> I like that. Um, after ter- she turned 60, Susan decided to speak out and will use her past as a professional public speaker and former Dale Carnegie trainer to rally all cannabis enthusiasts to speak up against plant limits for home growers. Four plants is not enough for a successful family home grow. A current resident of Uruguay, which was the first country in the world to legalize in 2013, and former resident of Canada, New Zealand, and the USA, Susan has a unique perspective on pot around the world as both a grower and a lifelong consumer. So that's a little bit about her. Um, she's very, very well spoken. I was just at the Lyft Expo on the weekend and saw speakers and heard speakers speak. Um, some of them were okay. Some of them... I have to say, Susan should have been there. She should have been up on that stage um, for the the different various ones that I saw. Some of them were were okay speakers, but this woman, the way that she can speak and her knowledge about the plant uh, is incredible. So I'm going to do what I can to get her to be at Lyft next year or Ocanabiz or one of them. Um, If I could fly her in for Kelly's Green Lounge um, events, I would. (laughs) One 
of these days, I'll get a whole bunch of money and I'll fly Susan in from Uruguay. So this is our interview. Uh, I, she taught me how to be able to do a recording um, over Skype. Which, wow, who knew that you could do that? <laughs> and so I've done it. And I'm hoping that the levels are okay. And um, I've just made it our interview for this particular podcast. Sometimes I break it up and have many guests on a podcast. But I just left this one alone because it was quite a lengthy interview. Uh, and I think that because there is so much incredible information devoted in this particular podcast, we should just leave it to growing, growing all over the world and um, Susan is going to come back another time and speak to us with some grow tips as it is that season right now isn't it so without further ado Miss Susan Stoneman Thanks so much, Kelly. It's a real pleasure to be on here with you. So the reason why I wanted to speak to you is because you have experience growing cannabis in multiple places throughout the world, and you have experience in the cannabis community and with education. I'm hoping you can uh, share some background about how you came into the cannabis industry and what is it that you're doing now. I'd be happy to. It's been a long, strange trip, as they say. So... I have been actively using cannabis for over 45 years, so that tells you a little bit. I started in the days of record covers and shoebox lids, <laughs> and very early on, because I'm a pretty logical person, it seemed to me that the best way to obtain the cannabis I was looking for was to grow my own, and so very early on uh, in my career as a participant and enjoyer of this wonderful plant, I started to look out for information. How do I grow this? How do I grow this? And of course, at the time, it was incredibly illegal. So it, you couldn't even, you know, it was scary if you found a book in the bookstore, you, yes, books and bookstores, um, you were afraid to kind of even buy it because, you know, what would that person behind the counter think? So a very different time. Fast forward a little bit, as I finally got old enough uh, in my 30s to have my own house, I finally felt safe because I owned my own property that I might consider growing again. And at the time, I was living in the United States and started to look into it, and it just appeared impossible to obtain what I needed. I did get Ed Rosenthal's book, I believe it was 1997, and uh, it just seemed so complicated. It was fascinating, this plant marijuana, but... Boy, it seemed like it was going to really need a lot of equipment and, and complicated things in order to, to get uh, some cannabis to smoke. So I let it go by the wayside as in Massachusetts, which is now one of the legal recreational states in the United States, affectionately known now as Grassachusetts. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I've noticed this pattern. I leave places and they legalize. So <laughs> you're um, good luck to them then. I, I, apparently, um, in early 2000s, I moved to Canada to Vancouver, uh, where things were a little more open. And at the time, there had been a recent government report known as the Four Pillars Report, and it really appeared that cannabis was uh, going to be legalized in Canada. It was a huge government study, and it was all about the reduction of harm that is caused by the plant being illegal. Okay. Unfortunately, at the last minute, the U.S. government took out its big stick and waved it in the air, and the Canadians um, chose to not go forward with their 
their plans. As we all know, time has passed. I no longer live in Canada and it is now legal. So uh, from Canada, uh, but I was successfully able to grow there. That was my first real um, experience because it was very easy to obtain seeds in Vancouver. You could go to a local seed bank and you could purchase them and you could pay cash. And it was pretty under the um, the radar and so I felt fairly safe doing it uh, again once I had my own property that I owned uh, as a renter uh, if while things are illegal it's obviously a huge risk your landlord can choose to visit you at any time and plants don't take kindly to be suddenly interrupted in their life uh, it's not like you can just pack them off or hide them in your trunk um, while the landlord visits nope. so the first time I got the cheapest seeds I could get and I bought a, an assortment of outdoor seeds and I put them in little containers in my backyard and they turned into little plants and they were pretty, but that was it. There was no flowers, there oh. were no nothing. I really had no idea what I was doing. So, and then I was started to worry that the neighbors would see them. So I brought them inside and I didn't have any lights. And so, yeah, I was kind of a big bust. So, but I'm persistent. So I kept trying and uh, what uh, the next thing I was able to dedicate a full room. So I was able to convert a bathroom into a, uh, a little bit of a grow room and I just used fluorescent lights and I got buckets and that's when I kind of invented my uh, I had a system that I kind of interpreted from some stuff I learned online about growing in uh, a variety of bucket to make sure the roots would never drown it's kind of a combo uh, a little bit of hydroponic theory but a lot easier to manage hydroponics always fascinated me but frankly it just seemed way too complicated for me right. and so from that grow um, I did actually probably harvest my first smokable bud, but I have pictures of the, the plants. They're not pretty, they're scraggly and sad. And I really, again, really didn't know what I was doing. I had some lights, I put them on a timer, but it really wasn't uh, what I would consider much of a, a, a system. And then luckily a friend of a friend needed to quickly get rid of their grow equipment. So I was able to obtain a tent and a, an HID light. And so for the first time I actually had the proper light to grow marijuana. And I did some other plants and I finished those off. And that was my first real, what I consider kind of successful. Like they, they did well, they made it through all their stages successfully. But right after that, in the midst of that grow, uh, we kind of decided to move from Vancouver to New Zealand. And unfortunately, New Zealand, though it has one of the highest consumption rates in the world, I believe it is the second highest, according to the people that study that stuff, <laughs> their rate of consumption is exceptionally high and their rate of incarceration is equally high. Wow. In New Zealand, you can be arrested for possessing paraphernalia. If you wow. have a pipe, you can be arrested. Wow. I didn't know and that. Much like the, what I believe, uh, so I'm going to get a little political here. You can cut this out if we don't want to go there. But I believe a lot of the criminalization of the plant in the first place was based on fear and, and cultural issues. Uh, in the United States under Richard Nixon. There's documentation to support that. It's my belief. I grew up during that time. I'm not overly surprised. So when it became, uh, when the U.S. made it illegal internationally, uh, a lot of that was to fight back against perceived uh, cultural mixing of different 
the Mexicans and African Americans with sure. the, the the predominant culture. Uh, in New Zealand, it was a lot of the same thing. Uh, New Zealand has Maori as their native people, and of course, it was a large part of their culture, and it was another way to uh, again make that break between the two. Until the time of U.S. illegalization, it was uh, widely used in New Zealand medicinally by religious orders and it was just a normal thing. And then of course, because of these international choices, they had to change and they went hard, hard, hard. So in New Zealand, uh, one of the common ways to smoke is to use two knives and you put your marijuana between the two knives and you light it because knives are not illegal. They're not smoking gear. Wow, okay. and they also sell marijuana in what's called tinnies. So they're tinny houses and you would go up and you get your little gram of marijuana folded up in aluminum foil called tin. Uh, and that's why they're called tinny houses. That's very so, interesting. Wow. Interestingly enough, Kelly, I left New Zealand almost three years ago next week partially due to some of this repression and for other reasons. And the next country of choice was to move to the only country in the world where marijuana is actually legal at the time, three years ago. And that is the country of Uruguay, uh, also pronounced Uruguay, but uh, I pronounce it by the name they prefer. Uh, Uruguay in December of 2013 uh, legalized marijuana. They didn't just decriminalize. It's been decriminalized here since forever. I don't think it was ever actually a crime to smoke here. But the I needed another country to live in. And I said, I'm going to go live in the country that allows me to do what's most important to me in my life. So that's how I ended up here. And I have been growing in Uruguay since I arrived. And uh, it's just very interesting to compare the different rules around home growing and the restrictions that are still in place, even in countries such as Canada and Uruguay, where it's completely legal. It's nice that we're able to grow uh, legally, but the limitations that all countries have put in place about the amount of plants that you can grow, I think are a real serious issue and that all cannabis enthusiasts, whether you grow or not, need to be actively involved in helping to change those rules. You are growing there. Um, It is my understanding that in order to be allowed to grow or be one of those, um, I think that it was the, you can belong to a club, you can get it from the pharmacy, or you can grow yourself. You have to be a Uruguay, I'm going to say this wrong, Uruguay citizen or Uruguayan citizen. It's probably a better way to say it. Is that right? Or are you okay to do that there? The government, when they legalized marijuana here, the real reason that they did it was because they wanted to try to undercut the narco-traficantes. They wanted to keep the gangs and the narcos out. Uh, Uruguay, because it's a very small country, it's only three and a half million people, does not have the serious problems. We're just not a big enough market for anything. But most of the marijuana that was available before uh, legalization was Paraguayan brick. It's that old, if you're a longtime smoker, it's that old compressed uh, it almost looks like cocoa coir now uh, that we used to break apart and smoke. 
and it was very, very low quality, and that's what people were using. And so when they passed legalization, they wanted uh, people to be able to obtain, and one of the goals was to make sure it was very affordable, again, to undercut, to make it not worth trying to push illegal drugs. So they gave us three options, and anyone that is a Uruguayan citizen or permanent resident is eligible. It is not available for tourists or visitors or people that are still in the process of applying for their residency. Okay, so because you now live there and you're allowed to live there, you're allowed to do all of these things. And I'm guessing that their quality of cannabis is still a lower quality. Are you allowed to grow your, obviously it's better quality, are you allowed to do that? Uruguayan law is really interesting because it's very vague, and I think they do that on purpose, I've learned as I've lived here longer. Uh, it gives them better flexibility for interpretation. Um, technically, at home, um, you must register. So one of the big differences between, for example, Canada and Uruguay is the right is available to all citizens, but you can't legally partake until you register with the government. And that process is going down to the post office. They wanted to make it so boring that no one would care. Yeah. This is true. So you go to the post office and you fill out a form and you have to give them all 10 fingerprints and you have to show them your national ID card. That's what proves your status in the country. It's called a cedula and it's our, our it's like an internal country passport. And it, it shows on the back of it whether what your status is. Are you a citizen? Are you a permanent resident? Or are you a resident in process? And it, you can only be one of those three things. And so if you don't have that card, obviously you don't qualify. That's why they use it. So um, when you fill out this form at the post office, you have to declare which of the three methods you're going to use. Am I going to grow my own? Am I going to become a member of a club? Or am I going to buy at the pharmacy? So this is the system that the government put in place, assuming that therefore any individual, if you want to grow at home, great, you can grow at home. If you want to buy at the local pharmacy, great, go down and buy at the pharmacy. If you want better quality than what's available in the pharmacy, you would join a club. Right. So the issue is that the, uh, uh, the cannabis being sold by the government – this is what breaks my heart because they had the chance to do well and I don't know how this quite happened, but I really feel that they missed the boat strongly on this one. There are only two kinds that you can buy in the pharmacy, A and B. And marijuana A is sativa and marijuana B is indica and it has 3% THC. <laughs> okay. That sounds like just, old school backyard kind of stuff. That yeah. So so in spite of the fact that over 36,000 people have signed up at pharmacies and are obtaining them from the 17 pharmacies. So the other issue is there are only 17 locations in the country where you can buy at a pharmacy. And that, again, deciding on the pharmacies, I think, was a bold move on the government's part. They were trying to just really make it seem like a normal thing that you would get. Uh, but on the flip side, uh, many of the pharmacies were fearful that the drug gangs might take action against them if they were cutting into their business. Okay. 
So it became, I don't know that it quite worked out. I think they might have done better going with a more storefront approach, as you see in Canada and the states in the U.S. that have legalized, where you regulate a, a, a location that only sells this. Right. Then we know, those people know what they're getting into. I think it was a little bit of a squeeze on the pharmacy owners that they were now responsible for distributing this. Yeah, yeah, that could be. Uh, the problem was also it took over three and a half years. So the law was passed in December of 2013. The first marijuana did not go on sale in pharmacies till about this time last year. Oh. So when it went on sale in the pharmacies, it really didn't go well. Uh, the machines didn't work. The systems didn't work. They ran out within hours. The lines were long. People that had registered, their fingerprints weren't being recognized. So when you purchase at the pharmacy, you must use your thumbprint every time you buy to prove it's yours, that you are buying it. And they also will limit the amount you are allowed to buy per year, per year and per month. So legal, yes, you will not go to jail. but um, normalized. So uh, what did grow up from, so the pharmacies were very delayed. Uh, there were two licenses granted. The companies they were granted to, one is a very large multinational, international thing, conglomerate. And the first crops were not good and they were actually producing and selling uh, marijuana with mold in it. Oh, as we all know, that's about the worst thing you can smoke unless you've got, you know, additives in there. Yeah. And so it really did not go well. So we've seen a big increase in clubs and in home growing. There were very few home growers originally, and I will tell you there are still uh, lots and lots and lots and lots of growing that is not registered with the government. And I believe that is where most people are in this country. Uh, as I live here longer and I know more locals and people come to trust me more, uh, you learn a little bit more about people's everyday lives. And pretty much everyone that I do business with in my daily life, my computer repair guy, my laundromat lady, my hairdresser, uh, they all grow. It's just part of life here. They have big plants in their backyards. They often keep the plants all year round because the you know how you can keep a mother going yeah. so they will um they sometimes will keep plants for many many years in a family and just keep pulling off parts each year and flowering parts wow. so then also because it's a poor country theft is a big issue and so even when you're growing you still want to be very discreet and i advise that regardless of whatever country you're in first rule of growing is don't tell anyone you're growing and it's so hard because it's such a fun activity and it's fine to talk about you know if you can put yourself in a fairly anonymous situation but as much as you want to brag to your friends it's just not really a good idea right good advice yeah and a hard one to follow sometimes. Yes, certainly. Uh, so I am growing here uh, quite freely, but I am not growing legally here. I will be upfront about that. I choose to flower more plants than are allowed by law because I'm currently growing outside. And my plants are so beautiful and successful that I'm also over the consumption limit for the year. <laughs> yeah. We can share our 30 grams that we're allowed to have in public. We can share that as long as it's not more than 30 grams. Do you have that where you can share that there? You could make some edibles with your grow or you can give them to the local whoever, like you said, your repairman or your hairdresser. Are you allowed to do that there? 
Yes, you are allowed to share. Uh, you are allowed to give to whoever you want as long as you are not accepting anything in return. So again, as long as it's not a commercial transaction. So you shouldn't really barter with it because that's kind of touching the law. But I could walk up to someone I met at a coffee shop and we become friends and I could easily share with you and you could smoke with me as a tourist without any fear of any problems. Yes. Okay. That's very, okay. So that's good to know. At least there's sort of that sort of gray area there. It's just as long as you're not bartering or trading or anything like that, because that sort of goes on that borderline. Um, are you, do you find that when you grow, are you growing just for smoking or are you making other things with it? Are you making other products, maybe distillate or edibles or anything like that? Oils? A great question, Kelly. Actually, I think that's one of the benefits of, of growing your own. When you grow your own plants, as you know, uh, the part that we're all after and the part that we normally would obtain in a dispensary or a commercial store would be the bud, the flower. And there's a lot of other parts of the plant, and a lot of them are very useful. And as you're trimming your plants and getting down to your beautiful buds that you're going to cure, you will end up with a lot of sugar leaves and a lot of very tasty trichomy plant matter that you can use for other things. So I am a huge fan of another uh, health guru in Canada named Dave Asprey who lives out in Vancouver Island and people might recognize his name as he is famous for bulletproof coffee. And the bulletproof coffee is all about butter in your coffee so you may have heard of that. And so in Uruguay, we don't drink coffee, we drink mate, and my mate every morning contains cannabis butter. I have found that by um, including edibles as well as smokables, now as I'm, you know, in my 60s, that I can benefit more from the plant just in keeping my system functioning than if I just smoked all the time. And I will confess, I am a recreational smoker. I have no health issues at all. Uh, I take no pills. I am exactly my right weight. I sleep gloriously. Um, and I have done cannabis for the last 45 years. That is just my reality. You're saying you're growing outside there. Did you grow outside in Canada here? No, I prefer to grow inside when possible. Okay. Um, I have been growing outside uh, because I do not have space right now to set up indoor tents. And I am just approaching that moment. Uh, I'm converting one of our shipping containers into my new grow permanent space. I have found, though, look, the benefits to growing outside reduce cost. You're not paying for lighting. And here, for me, I because I can run, I own many acres of land here, I can run a pretty... Not like a, I'm not growing anything commercially, so to be clear, I did a big push on different varieties this year in an attempt to fine-tune my advice for first-time growers. So I've grown a little of this and a little of that, but I was really hoping to use myself as a test case to really document, here's how you successfully get from, gee, I'd love to grow, to having jars full of bud your very first time. And I think, Kelly, when you went through it, it can be a little overwhelming sometimes. Mm -hmm. So I was using myself as a test case, and I ran about 30 plants this year, all different varieties, no two the same. So that's very complicated and not something I would recommend, but it was good for a scientific data-gathering point of view. Obviously, there, it's a different climate there. There's different types of soil. There's different types of nutrients. And I'm, I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind comparing what you have found in that country in your other three countries, New Zealand and Canada, 
to tell us like what is available there is it um do you find the nutrients do you make your own nutrients i mean obviously we're going to do another podcast sometime when you can give us some expert grow tips i'm hoping fingers crossed that you would do that my pleasure yeah so but for now because we're sort of focused on the places that you live because your life has been so incredible with all these different places that you've grown what's the difference if you wouldn't mind sort of is it is it really better there is it different what's it like what are you using for nutrients there in comparison to the other country kelly when i first started growing because i've been a plant lover my whole life and successfully gardened i was working with more uh potting soils and mixes and trying to grow in soil and it wasn't going very successfully so i ended up i told you in my first kind of bathroom grow with these kind of combination buckets and that's when i discovered coco coir And just for me, it's the medium I prefer. I know people make beautiful organic soils, and I'm all in favor of that. It's just not the easiest method, I think, for A, a brand new grower who's my group that I am committed to helping. I want to make sure that anyone decides they want to grow has a huge success when they complete the process. So... Um, I've used a cocoa perlite mix. And once I discovered that mix, so when I got to New Zealand, uh, so that's what I used in Canada. I kind of used this combo, a little cocoa, a little soil, and I'm a worm castings are my favorite thing for marijuana. You cannot go wrong. Get yourself a giant bag of worm castings if you're growing. I throw them in when I transplant. I throw them in as a top dressing. You cannot burn your plants with worm castings, but they provide a bunch of valuable nutrients, and so they're just one of my favorite tools. So I try to keep it very simple. Um, And so I discovered the coir. When I got to New Zealand, again, because you had to be so secretive, like we would... Uh, we would actually get a rental car to drive to the grow shop to buy things in case we were being filmed. Wow. Yeah, I'm serious because they had already busted. There was a there was only like we had to drive two and a half hours to get materials. And the good thing was, though, because New Zealand's a very greeny country, in every hardware store they had cocoa coir and perlite's very easy to get. So I was able to get those two things. And buckets, I actually couldn't even get good grow buckets. So I used nine liter pails that cost me a dollar ten each. Wow. And I couldn't get, you know, CalMag. So I used Tums and baking soda and vinegar you know, to do my pH up and pH down and to give my plants calcium. So, uh, yeah, you can get resourceful. It is easier. I mean, I I will say sometimes I'm a little envious that now you could just go on Amazon and with a list of the right things, it could all be at your house tomorrow morning. Yes. That's mind, but without fear, that's mind boggling to me. I mean, to me, that's like, yeah, life changing. Yeah. Isn't that very interesting? So you, obviously, you've seen it to a place where you had to hide everything. You needed like almost an invisibility cloak when you're getting stuff to now when it's right in the open and you can access whatever you need to access it. Is there a difference? Do you, is there a difference in the quality now that you can get anything you need? Or do you just feel like I've been through the trenches? I know what I'm doing. Is it like that? Or how is it? Um. <laughs> I think the joy of home growing for me, the biggest change and why I'm committed to do it for the rest of my life and why I think everyone should experience it and why many people would choose it if they only knew. There's nothing, and this is the big change, I guess, with legality in Canada. Now, if you want pot in Canada, you can go to a store and get it. You couldn't do that before. And if we all think back, for those of us that did choose to partake before it was legal, 
the few of us. Um, that waiting around for your dealer to show up, the droughts, the phone calls, it's like who needs that in your life? I don't need that. It was just terrible. It wasn't enjoyable. And so by growing my own, I know that I always have what I need. Uh, my husband happens to smoke as well for medical reasons from a series of serious car accidents and therefore uh, his access to medicine is crucial, especially as we keep changing countries. And so, yeah, it was a very tough transition. Um, so I was able to obtain some nutrients and get bulbs and things like that uh, in New Zealand. And when I came to Uruguay, I brought my entire kit with me. I brought everything. Now in Uruguay, um, very we have accessibility. There are grow shops everywhere. It's a very common business. Uh, almost every business here is a mom and pop. We don't have big box stores or any of those sorts of things. So uh, almost every little town has someone that you know will have some seeds and a couple of pipes and papers and some grow material and a couple of buckets. Like that's kind of what goes on here. And uh, they actually host a wonderful uh, expo cannabis here every year in December as a it started the year they legalized, so it happens to be in December because that's when the law was signed. Plus, it's summertime here in December, which is the nicest time to be here. So it's a great, great uh, expo. Uh, and there's a lot of availability and a lot of people learning, and it's really becoming more common. In addition, the government you know, supports people growing because hemp is also totally legal here. So they have whole programs. They were doing a uh, – teach women to grow hemp and use the fiber to weave clothing and they were supplying materials uh, for low-income women here. So it's a crazy thing. So we have some accessibility, but we don't have a lot of accessibility. We don't have the accessibility that you have in Canada to the variety of products, but we have enough. And the South America market is coming on very strong. There's a lot of strength in Chile. Argentina's thinking about it. Brazil is, you know, one of the biggest country in the world. They're not legal now, but if they tip, that would be a big thing. I noticed at the last Expo Cannabis in December of 2018, there were a lot of Brazilians there. I mean, a, lo a lot larger uh, interest from that country than I had seen before. So, yeah, it's, um, it's quite interesting here. But I am jealous that you can just pick up the phone or hop online and see anything that you'd want to try and have access to it. Uh, we can't get things here. Like, I can't even get a birthday card from home. So, like, the idea of trying to order things and everything that comes into Uruguay is hit with a 60% duty and a 22% tax. So, it becomes very inaccessible for the average person here to grow indoor. Uh, so, it's mostly only the clubs. And then, of course, the the LEDs have helped a lot in lowering the overall cost of growing for the average person. So how would somebody be able to find you? So this is a large wealth of information that you've been able to give us. You've been able to talk about this. I'm guessing that there's going to be some listeners that are going to be interested in the program that you're offering. Uh, how would we find you, Susan? At the moment, Everything is in process, which is my favorite way for it to be. Um, so the best place to reach me right now is on Instagram at igrowpot.ca. It's the quickest, easiest. There's a button there. You can send me an email, and that's the best way right now to get in touch with me. There is also a website, and right now you can sign up to be the first person in the know about the upcoming how to see if growing is right for you. I think there's three key questions around legality, commitment, 
and then how to pick the best seeds for you. It's not a one-size-fits-all world out there, and that's one of the glorious things about marijuana. Uh, the connoisseur, the strains, the different odors, effects, and, and just the beauty of the pl- I'm fascinated by the beauty of the plant itself. I mean, I will say, sometimes I just pick up a bud, and it's like, how can you be so pretty? <laughs> yeah, it's true. No, and the Isn't it? It's just, it's, just, it's an incredible plant, and yeah. I think... Um, it's a shame that we've wasted, you know, 75 years of humanity, like in this ridiculous rules and illegality and all those things. But I, I truly sense there's a tipping point coming. And my goal is that by making it easy and approachable for everyone that wants to grow their own to try it and make their own decision um, that I'm doing what I'm on the planet for. Wonderful. Now, the last question I have for you is, what is your preference, what strain um, or sativa indica to smoke yourself, not to grow? What is your, what is Susan's favorite strain or strains? (laughs) I have to go with strains because I couldn't pick just one, I'm afraid. But I do have some very memorables from my history. One of the, you know, it was a very big deal for uh, my husband and I to both go to Amsterdam back when everything was still so illegal for cannabis cups and to go experience the coffee, co- uh, the coffee shop culture in Amsterdam, which in spite of appearing legal for so many years was still very illegal. It was totally illegal to grow it and it was illegal to transport it to the coffee shop. But somehow magically, once it appeared in the coffee shop, it was a-okay. Yep. Anyways, and so we we did some judging there too. And uh, it kind of got me thinking more about, gee, what do I really like? I think my favorite strain ever was some blueberry. And I think, I don't know who the grower was. I got it in Vancouver. It was an original blueberry. I can still smell it. And that was 2002. So yeah, I have quite a memory of that one. Uh, So I'm blueberry. I'm mostly an indica uh, preference person. Normally, but I'm finding I'm starting to enjoy a lot more of the sativa hybrids. I find them good for, uh, you know, uh, creativity, which I really feel like I'm in a big phase of that right now. So we're experimenting with some of those. Uh, Another really, really super bud I tried was a a sweet tooth uh, from Barney's Farm. That was a very, very memorable plant. And I must say, uh, some of the series I, some of the 30 samples I've tried, I think are going to become real favorites now. Uh, They're not quite done curing, so I can't really judge them yet. But one of the plants called Carmelo uh, was from Delicious Seeds was, was just so beautiful in every stage of growth. I'm just thinking it's going to be amazing, amazing smoke as well. Wonderful. Well, we really appreciate you coming on the show today, and we hope that you will come back on Kelly's Greenland Radio and talk to us about growing again and maybe give us some pro tips. I would love to do that, Kelly, and thanks so much for letting me just blabber on. I Just my favorite subject to talk about, and I hope it was interesting for people to hear a little bit about what it's like in other parts of the world. We will always in Uruguay claim the first, but I think Canada made some better decisions about how they legalized. And lastly, I want to encourage everyone, keep your ear to the ground about number of plants grown and do everything you can to advocate to solve that particular issue, even if you're not a grower. 
purpose of this podcast is to entertain, educate, and to inform. It is no substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. Instead, we encourage you to discuss your options with a healthcare provider who specializes in medical cannabis or with a cannabis lawyer. Guests who speak in this podcast express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions, and Kelly's Green Lounge has not and cannot be held responsible for guests' views. This podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only, advertising which is incorporated into, placed in association with, or targeted towards the content of this podcast is forbidden. You may not edit, modify, or redistribute this podcast in any way. (laughs) 